Welcome to Depth of Field. I'm your host, Rachel. We are still only at the beginning of this series, but I have already learned so much about the many different approaches that a photographer may take to their subject, their craft, how they approach and embrace challenges, and learn from their experiences. My guest this week is no exception. She leapt into photography with both feet and has been swimming ever since. Her passion for landscape has taken her from Greenland to the Antarctic, not to mention many stops in between. But her drive to shoot the world around her extends beyond the natural world as she finds herself immersed in crowds of people and their culture as well. She is tenacious, focused, driven, and an opportunist at heart. She spends her time wisely and is keen to offer lessons learned from her experiences. As a person who seems to always be moving, currently she is working on a project documenting local farmers in the Kingston area as well. Not only is she a keen learner, but full of gratitude for every opportunity. This week, I speak with Andre Thorpe about all of these things and was still left with questions. Give Andre an inch, and I suspect she would run the mile. Welcome to Depth of Field. Welcome to Depth of Field. Thank you for sitting down with me. <laughs> well, thank you for inviting me. That's uh, quite an honor. First of all, how did you get involved in, in photography? Well, um, it started eight years ago. Um, well, actually, a little bit more than eight years ago. Uh, what happened is um, I worked in the insurance industry for about uh, almost 30 years. And um, I had moved to Bermuda in 2002 for work. And um, we were wakeboarding. And one day we said, oh, that would be so much fun to capture our, our jumps when we are up in the air. So I said, okay, well, I'll buy an SLR camera. So, which I did, and I just love taking pictures. So, in 2010, I uh, took a National Geographic weekend course in Miami, and from there, it totally changed my life. It was a photography workshop with Raoul Toussaint, and when I looked at his work and his presentation, I just, I was just like amazed. Uh, imagine working in the insurance industry for almost 30 years, looking at spreadsheets, uh, documentation all the time. And now all of a sudden I'm exposed to art, images that, I mean, it's one thing you look at them in magazine, but it, while it's in front of you and you're like, oh wow, is this possible? Like, can this be done? And uh, sure enough, it can, and I was just—I uh, actually started to cry because I was just so amazed by his work. So I approached Raúl and I said, "Listen, I will retire uh, in a year or two, and I'm too young to do nothing." And I just looked at your pictures, and I, this is what I want to do. So I hired Raúl to teach me photography. So we went uh, for about 18 days in California. It was on one-on-one, -on -one, and we shot 18 hours a day for about, uh, yeah, 16 days. Learned a lot, uh, realized how hard it was, and from there, my life just changed completely. I started to work for Raul as his uh, assistant, and also I manage his, uh, manage his business office. And then learning under his wing as well. And two, three years ago, I finally decided to start my home business. So I teach. I continue to assist Raul. I continue to 
manages business from the back end of it. And but the difference is now that uh, I teach, I sell prints, I also do documentary photography, and I travel all around the world wherever you know um, I'm asked to go work or I just go because I want to photograph uh, the place. So you did a workshop with Raoul, but you've done workshops with uh, several other photographers as well, right? Yeah, I did. Um, I did a workshop with uh, Ernesto Bazan. Mm-hmm. So did one with Maggie Steber, uh, Sid Harvey, and Alex uh, Webb, and Rebecca Webb. So every one of them were different. Um, Ernesto and Maggie was um, documentary um, street photography, and Alex Webb was uh, bookmaking. And Sid Harvey was a creative process. Um, but mainly all my, my teaching has been under Raoul. Basically, Raoul is my mentor. I'm currently doing a documentary on farms uh, in the, key, the, the region of Kingston. And, um, you know, when you work on a project like that, it's always nice to get feedback and direction because it's easy. To, it's, it's very easy to get lost and, and lose perspective because I, you don't want to find yourself working two, three, four, five years into a project and realize, oh, my God, I got stuck along the way or uh, I'm missing this picture, this picture, or I missed opportunities. So it's a good thing for me anyway that what that works for me is to get feedback on a regular basis and, and, and sometimes it's not always what I want to hear, but it, it's good. It, it's really good because that's how you grow and that's how you learn. And it also, uh, if you're on the wrong track, well, it's much easier to get back on track mm. uh, a lot faster. And, it, uh, you know, you, don't, you get more focus. And um, it, also, it also helps you to be more creative. And you're learning. I mean, even with Raul, Raul sends me his edits uh, each time he goes on a trip or assignments, and I look at his pictures, and, you know, he wants my feedback, and he learns from me as well. I wanted to ask about your editing process while we're talking about it. How do you go about a selection of photos and say, okay, this makes the cut, this doesn't? Like, what is, what is the deciding factor or factors for you? Well, there's some key element. It's like a, I look at a picture, it's like, okay, what is my subject? Is it under the best light? Um, what's the composition? What is the message sending? I try to stay away from being emotional and attach and react to the picture. Um, because sometimes, you know, you put so much time into something or you went through so much to just to get that picture. But sometimes the effort is, does not equal a great picture. So it's great subject, great lighting, great composition, and great moment. If I don't have those four elements, it's out. And sometimes it breaks my heart. Like I mean, especially when Raoul says, well, that's not a good picture because the subject is not in a good light or there's nothing there. I don't know how many times in the last eight years I heard there's nothing there, Andre. Like, try to stop fighting for this picture. There's absolutely nothing there, and and I realized that 
when there's nothing there, it's just that it's you just emotionally attach. You you don't necessarily have a good perspective. And also, I think it's very important to be critical with your energies. The other aspect too is um, when under National Geographic, one of the things I've learned is that um, you need to keep your images at its purest. So if it's a bad image, don't think Photoshop's going to fix the problem. And in any event, like, I mean, I get this from Raul because I do his edits. I'm not working for National Geographic. Raul is. If an image is not good on its own and needs to be fixed in Photoshop to make it look good, it wasn't good at the first place. So it's very hard. It's very critical. But to me, that's how you learn and you learn to do it in the camera. I'm assuming that most mentors will be able to do that, but it's kind of hard, I think, these days to find people who will kind of be savage with your with your work <laughs> and just, you know, give you that that really critical feedback that you need because it's hard. It's hard. And, and there's a lot of emotional attachment that goes into taking photos. And, you know, I, I mean, to me, like in eight years, I will be honest, there were times that I had doubts. I thought I was going to quit. And I wasn't good for it. I was not cut out for it. But, I mean, we all go through these moments, every one of us. Um, but it's, it's just to keep going back at it and, and pushing yourself all the time and learn. You've had many influences via workshops, mentoring, etc. cetera. Um, what do you think that you were able to pull from that um, that you weren't able to teach yourself. I mean, you've got the obviously the the critical eye and someone saying, okay, here's the direction and um, here's all of that. I mean, there's a lot of someone might say, you know, well, I'll just teach myself. So many people are, you know, keen to teach themselves photography. Like, what would you? How might you sell mentoring? Self-mentoring, I mean, learning on my own. Um, it's just everybody has their own style of learning. Everybody um, goes through different paths. I respect every one of them. In my case, um, I like being around people. I like getting feedback. I like learning from others. Um, actually, I would for me to be on my own, I would find it hard to be self-motivated. I get energy from uh, all my mentors. Uh, every one of them gave me a level of energy and, and I learned some, some great stuff from them. Um, I, got, I was very inspired by every one of them, but that's just me. I mean, some people, I know some photographers, uh, they learn it on their own and they were natural. I mean, for me, I was 30 years, almost 30 years in the insurance business. Um, being um, artsy was not uh, coming to me. I mean, I looked at number for 30 years, so <laughs> it was just like uh, I had to bring my, as much as I thought it was fun to hold the camera, it's, it's one thing to take a picture, but creating great pictures is another thing. Mm. Um, and for me, that path was the right one for me. 
I've noticed that uh, you do a lot of landscape, but I've also noticed that you have a tendency to dabble in a bunch of different genres, a bunch of different styles. Like when I take a look at your Coney Island pieces, you have all these reflections, you know, in the puddles and I I don't know, off windows. And then you kind of almost blur your subjects uh, to create movement. And I think that's really kind of fun to play with all those different elements but then I look at your was it your Easter in uh, Antigua Guatemala Um, and it's very you know dark and light is very juxtaposed in these images and so I'm just kind of curious as to how you go about exploring these different techniques and these different genres of photography. Um, Coney Island was under the direction of Maggie Stieber um, Maggie Stieber is a um, documentary photographer for National Geographic. Um, she is, if I had to recommend one great documentary visual storyteller photographer teacher, is Maggie Stieber. Great soul, and I've learned a lot. And basically, this uh, creative work was um, a week on. Connie Island, and basically I had to come up with 20 great images telling a story about that place, and um, I had to decide everything. And I mean, when you go to Connie Island, it would have been easy to um, make a picture about people stuffing hot dogs in their mm-hmm. mouth and junk food and people on the beach. I decided to push myself, and I, I, I came up with the idea that I'm going to create ghosts and every pictures and I, I created those ghosts by adding movements in my pictures and I had a lot of fun doing it. I had, um, um, it really pushed me to, uh, think really, really hard because, um, the, the park shut down on me. That was one thing that happened during that week. Oh, no. Unexpected. Um, the weather was not so great. Um, in any event, I, I was able to come up with those 20 images and telling the, the story of those on Coney Island. Um, it, it, I have to say that week was such a great learning opportunity um, and, and really pushing the envelope. Like, and, and also, what I was afraid is like, what are people going to say about my pictures? Like, Ghost of Coney Island, are they going to see it? Are they going to understand it? So that was a lot of fun. Antigua is a totally different environment. It's completely visual storytelling, documentary photography on the railroad to song. It is a place that is extremely difficult because you're shooting almost around the clock. The conditions are crazy because there's about 250,000 people uh, attending this event every year. Um, there's smoke everywhere. You can barely breathe. You get almost sick each time you go out. Uh, but the colors are just amazing. You have a lot of moments that also generate a lot of emotion. Even if you're not religious, uh, you can help yourself to um, to respond to the energy that is around you. So under the direction of Raul Toussaint, um, Raul is a great mentor. It's not easy to work under Raul. Mm-hmm. It's very demanding, very critical, but you learn so much. 
and and it also forces you to just keep pushing yourself. Um, I don't know if I didn't have that direction from either Maggie or Raul if I would have pushed myself that hard. I needed that energy from uh, on these each of these workshops to push myself. And now I can go on my own and create my own energy. But back then, as I was learning, sometimes, you know, you don't know exactly uh, it, it, like, what is that going to, how can I make this thing uh, this, that's in front of me a great image? How can I transmit how I'm feeling and with the light that is available or the situation that is evolving in front of me? In front of me. Keep in mind that, especially Antigua, Antigua, like, it's not like they're going to stop and pose for you. This is an evolving moment. People are moving, people are walking, and you need to find these moments in its best light, and you need to be able to compose the image very, very fast. And, you know, you have obstructed background, people walking in your shop, you have all kinds of stuff happening. And it's such a great exercise just to learn and, and coming up with, like if you walk away from a workshop like that with 10 great images, applaud yourself because it's very hard, very hard. How many people would there be in a workshop? Raul doesn't take like mega big groups. Uh, I think the largest group he takes is 12. And the one that I had with Maggie, we were eight. I don't go in workshops where there's 25 people. First of all, you will not learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's difficult because um, it's too, too big of a group. Um, so I, I will not tell those workshops. Okay, I was just trying to get an idea of what the scene must have been, you know, behind the camera when you have all of these other people and the workshop guide trying to lead you guys through this crowd and everything that was happening because the the photos from from that session are are really quite beautiful and emotional as you said you know there's there's a story there and there these people are very much living their their lives can you take a photo from that session that you really really like and explain it a little bit for our listeners and just go over the the kind of story behind it or what it was like for you to kind of take that photo uh yeah sure well, first of all, uh, when you attend those type of workshop and you're out in the field, you are you mostly are on your own. Um, it would be impossible for somebody like Raúl or a Maggie Steber to be leading the group in that kind of crowd with um, uh, a procession evolving in front of you, uh, because you do have to respect some rules as well. So you're basically on your own, and every day you come back, every morning there's a uh, uh, class time where you submit your pictures and then you get a photo critique. So every day you have the opportunity to, uh, first of all, learn, uh, assess your pictures, and if you need to correct your path, um, you can do it. So it's not like oh, on the last day you find out that you messed up. Um, so every day you have the opportunity to uh, okay, this is a great picture, and this is why, and this doesn't work, and this is the reason why. So you learn, you correct, and then you go back out in the field, and then you can capture again. Now, how do I go with my pictures out there? Um, first of all, I try to find uh, a unique subject. 
I mean, as you can imagine, you have this procession, you have, let's say, like it's, um, there's one day it's uh, the girls are um, carrying the float of uh, Mary. And it's all girls and they all dressed up and it's to find that one girl that stand out and and then from there, I, I followed these floats for uh, hours and hours until I find the right spot, the right light, uh, the right expression. And of course, I probably have 100 pictures of that girl um, and anything around it that I find interesting. Um, the key component is like, okay, this is the right background. Um, she's there, the light is perfect, and then and compose and and come up with the best image. Um, and I mean, these, these, these processions goes on for hours. Uh, you can be following them all night. And so therefore you have many great opportunities for pictures. Uh, there's instant, there's the procession with uh, the men, the boys, they have different attire, um, different situation, different floats, uh, different lighting. And what's interesting in Guatemala is that, uh, especially when uh, five o'clock hits, you have um, different lighting that takes place and the street lighting and different type of light. And you realize, oh my God, now my, this, the smoke from the incense is bright orange because of that mercury light in the background and it's now everything is glowing so it gives you the opportunity in that lighting to find uh, a subject and, 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 and create the image. As you said you, you have a, a current project that you're working on uh, Farmers by Choice is that correct? Yes. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that project? Yeah I started to work on this project four years ago. It's when I moved to uh, Hawaii. I spent six months in Canada and six months in Palm Springs. My husband's retired. And I have a need to uh, keep busy all the time. So I'm like, okay, so if I'm not traveling and doing landscape photography, what am I going to do with my time? So um, I wanted to learn um, to explore documentary photographer, visual storytelling more like I wanted to this is a skill that I wanted to develop so I went to uh, WG Farm on How Island knocked on their door and said hey I'm learning documentary photography and I'd like to use your farm as my first project and I was lucky enough that they said yeah sure so I started to work with them and basically became a member of the family I was I mean, part of the furniture at some point, and I started to work at the farm and taken, like, I don't know how many images, but anyway, a lot, and then started to submit the pictures to my mentor and then and started slowly to build some structure. And Farmers by Choice is a project that, I, one of the things that I've noted in the region is there's a lot of young farmers where, who the parents were never farmers. Uh, it's, it's a new generation of farmers that they decide they are highly educated and they decide that farming will be what they want to do with their life. And I find that incredibly interesting. So Double uh, J Farming uh, is not a farmer's by choice, but Tim, who's uh, 
taking care of the dairy farm has chosen to become a dairy farmer. Even though he has a political science degree, uh, he chose to be um, a dairy farmer. So to me, that was very interesting. And then his sister uh, has the um, vegetable farm. And then I started to work with another farmer last summer at Lemoine's Point. And uh, Jesse has chosen to be a farmer. And he's also a chef. And uh, all these people let me into their life. And basically, uh, I'm not moving in, but uh, I spend a lot of time with them. And um, I'm looking to build uh, a, a portfolio of, of beautiful images that tell a story of um, farming in the Thousand Islands, but spe specifically about farmers who have chosen to be farmers. Yeah, I find that that shift also very, very interesting. Is that what drew you to it? Or did you kind of almost discover that through the project? Uh, I discovered that through the project. I knew nothing about farming whatsoever until I knocked on their door. And uh, not only, you know, uh, I've learned a lot about documentary photography, I also learned a lot about farming because I knew nothing. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's been a fabulous experience for me. Uh, when I come back in April or end of April, I will be working with five farms uh, in the summer. Um, there's going to be a lavender farm. Uh, I'll still be working at uh, Lemoine's Point, WG um, Farm, and uh, Root Radical. And I also going to be working with Grain Farm as well. So there's and more. I also going to be sorry. I'm going to be working with a beekeeper. So I'm going to be documenting their lives and their culture during the summer. And I keep adding because as I meet more farmers, uh, then it creates new opportunities. And I'm starting to get phone calls from farmers saying, "Hey." Uh, if you're interested, come and uh, photograph our farm. So, so it's nice. It's it's a, it's a nice project for me. Yeah, that's fantastic, and it's it's nice to feel so so welcome as well. That really makes it a lot easier to to kind of get in and personal. Are you hoping to have an impact with your work, or like, what is your vision for your work once you're done? My goal is to come up with a book mm -hmm. uh, about you know, selecting the best work and come up with a book. There's also, um, we already started, we are using the images to educate people. Um, also, all these farmers get all the images and they use them on their website, advertising. Um, we're going to use it to create cells so that we can raise some money um, that can be used at the farms. Uh, one of the other things that I've done the, the past two summers is to um, work with kids. There's a summer camp, farm summer camp at the farm, and I give the kids cameras uh, for a week, and we give them assignments, and they, every week we make a video of the best images, and uh, the kids love it, and it's a great opportunity. So it's just, it's just being part of... Um, a positive image in the region and, and, and also giving back um, to the community by either giving a chance to a kid or, or you know, educating people on farming. Is there a common thread that you can pull from all of these different farms? 
similarities between them or a similar story? They're passionate about their food. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> they're, they're, they're just like passionate about their food. They're passionate about growing healthy food, good food. And they are highly invested in their community and also making an, a big difference on, uh, in the community, on the environment, um, and, and not just in Kingston, but provincial or national level. It, it is amazing how much, peop- how much time uh, these farmers are giving back with their time and educating people, being part of the solution, and all of this in creating a better environment. Do you think if people knew more about um, what goes on on a farm that uh, maybe behaviors would shift in terms of where people get their produce? Absolutely. I, I, I think I posted a few times on Facebook, respect your farmer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, respect your farmer. Uh, if we don't have farmers, we don't get to eat, right? And if they grow contaminated vegetables, imagine what that's going to do to our body and our health. So uh, just the fact that these uh, farmers, I mean, these farmers are not looking to get rich. They are looking to create a better life for themselves and growing healthy food. And and, and it is amazing how the, the commitment they have to this. So we've spoken mostly about projects of yours where you've photographed people and community uh, or culture, but you have quite a vast uh, selection of landscape photography as well. Yes, <laughs> that's my second passion. Well, I don't know which one's first. I think they're probably equal. For me, uh, landscape photography um, gives me peace. Um, I love nature. I love being out there. I just love the beauty that I, I like. I get to go to places that are just so beautiful. When I go photograph them, most people are sleeping um, while I'm doing my pictures because it's very early in the morning or it's very late at night or in the middle of the night. Uh, very rarely you're gonna see a picture of mine that has a blue sky. Um, literally, if it's too much of a blue sky out there, I don't even go out. Um, if it rains, it snows. If it's terrible weather, I love it. I strive in it. Um, I don't like drama in my life, but I like drama in my pictures. Um, <laughs> That's a good motto. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, to me, it is, is, you know, when you have like a big storm evolving in front of you and you have a waterfall or... Um, I love Iceland for that. Iceland, I think the, the weather changes every 15 minutes. I've been in a day where I had rain, snow, uh, sun, uh, dramatic clouds, and high wind all in one day. And as I'm moving, I'm driving around the country, like opportunities for images are just incredible. I've been in that country eight times and, you know, I still want to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people says, well, you photograph the same mountain, I don't know, maybe eight times. I said, yeah, but every time it's different. The light is different. 
um, the time of day I go to it is different. Uh, or it's just like one is in the summer and the other one's in the winter or the fall. So, uh, and, and if you look at every picture, it is different. Do I get tired of it? No. I can be hiking, I don't know how many kilometers in a day. Um, it, again, I push myself all the time. I have this incredible fear of height, and for some reason I find the energy and and I can control my mind in such a way that I will find my way down the cliff um, and take the picture and climb back up. And I, I just love it. it it's just... Um, and, and nature has, has so much to teach us. And we become very humble in front of nature as well. And you realize how small you are. And you also realize that as small as we are, our impact on the environment is significant. And it is amazing. Um, I've, I've, like, I've noticed in some areas where you, know, you can see how humans have left their trace and how it's affecting the environment. Because you've traveled to the extremes a lot, like you were in Greenland as well, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Beautiful place. Um, I mean, um, I hope one day I can go back. It's not an easy place to go to. And the window to get there is very small. So, and it's very, very expensive as well. So I'm hoping to go back one day and capture the images that I missed. Mm. Um, how, how much is a flight to Greenland? Actually, I didn't fly there. I uh, got on a ship in Iceland, and then we sailed to uh, Greenland and sailed down to uh, Newfoundland. That's where I got off the ship. So all my photographs are from a ship that. or a Zodiac. So Zodiac or ship. And I did go in, uh, on land a couple times. But it's it's not an easy place to get to. Mm. It, was that was that a cruise ship then or? No, um, I uh, sometimes assist Raoul Toussaint on oh, um, okay. on a ship called the World, and uh, this is a ship that is privately owned, and uh, Raoul teach teaches photography on the ship, and I assist him in his role. Okay, is this how you did the? Uh... Antarctica expedition as well? Yes, Antarctica as well. And that was the most amazing trip. I'm going back this November. I'm actually going to South Georgia, not with the world, but uh, on my own. And um, I, I, when I was in Antarctica, I just fell in love with the penguin. So I have to go back. I have to go photograph them one more time. <laughs> And hopefully it's going to be more than one time, but yeah, so I'm going back in um, November of this year, and in April of this year, I am going to um, Svalbard, and it's going to be, um, I'm going to photograph polar bears. So, exciting trips ahead. No kidding. So, Antarctica is kind of a trip of a lifetime, I'm sure, for many. What did you take from that? Like, how did, how did that feel? Oh, my God. I think I was pinching myself every day. Didn't, like, was it real that I was there on the ship? And and we went to um, to the Ross Sea. So it took six days to get there, six, five, seven days to get back. I, I kind of lost track. 
And um, I mean, just the fact that I was on the ship in the Rossi, a Rossi, there's not a lot of people that have access to that place. Uh, it's, it's a difficult place to get to. And also, it's mostly scientists that are in this region. And the, the condition, the weather conditions are pretty rough. <laughs> uh, you, you, you need a strong stomach to um, get through that place. Uh, and once we were there, there's a lot of uh, dynamics. You know, you have um, icebergs, you have a lot of ice. Um, you have uh, tides to deal with, chunk of ice that were bigger than the ship itself. And that these, these things are not static. They do move around. So the, the people who were uh, running the ships were expert, obviously, and um, um, just an incredible team. So... Um, and just the fact that I was there. And also, there was a lot of history, you know, when you think about Shackleton and Scott, all these explorers were there, and going back in time and learning about these people, what they've done, the conditions they traveled to get there. Um, just that alone, is, it was just amazing. Um, and the opportunity to photograph as well. Um, it's just very unique. Uh, again, I was literally pinching myself every day. Everything that I was looking at, every uh, what was in front of me. And the other thing that was very special about this trip is that uh, we broke a record. Um, and it made the Guinness... Um, um, sorry. No, no, the, the Guinness World Record? Yes, <laughs> So what happened is we have sailed, it's a, the largest passenger ship that has sailed the furthest south ever. And that moment, like I cried because I was in the bow of the ship and I was taking picture. And if you go on my website, you can see uh, that picture. Uh, it's just like a heart just go ringing, and it's like, wow, uh, is, is this possible? And it's just incredible, an incredible moment. And I will never, ever forget that trip. And I feel very blessed and special that I was able to go on this trip. No kidding. I remember looking at your photographs. I almost really felt humbled just looking at these photos. Did you find it difficult to focus your energy on doing what you were there to do as well as take it all in? It, it, it's not easy to be focused because, first of all, you're, you're looking at stuff that you've never seen before. And, and the size of um, those icebergs are just, just incredible. And you sit there and it's like you're on a moving ship. And don't forget that these icebergs are also moving. Um, so you're taking pictures and, and you're trying to process everything that is in front of you. And you know that the, the other thing is that that moment that you are there taking that picture will never repeat itself. Mm. And, and it's like, you, you need to figure out really quickly how you're going to do this picture, how you're going to deal with life. Like some of these pictures on my website, it was like the perfect blue skies. It was like the light was so bright. And I literally like for five minutes and I, I could see the iceberg moving away from me. And I'm like, I better think quick on how I'm going to do this picture. And I'm like, okay, the best way was like totally under-exposing the image and come up with silhouettes and then and then get a true essence of, of what was in front of me. But it, it is overwhelming sometimes. 
because it, it, you don't get a second chance. Like it's it, it, it's also something you've never. I, in my case, it was the first time I was seeing something like that. So it's just a processing all of this um, was. Yeah, overwhelming. Yeah, most people think of landscape photography. You can kind of take your time, but um, uh, always. <laughs> and what are you hoping to to photograph next time? I I don't know about you, but for me, whenever I walk away from a shoot, I always think, "Oh no, I would have really liked to do that. Oh, I should have done that." It doesn't matter how much time I've spent, you know, preparing and trying to come up with our creative ideas. It's just going to keep rolling. Like, do you get that all the time? And I'm never happy with like my performance either. As that's why I keep going back out because I always feel like, "Oh, I should have done this," or and oh, why did I not think of this? But you know, that's that's. You can do that all the time with everything, right? Um, but in my case, it's 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 you know I come back and edit my pictures, and then I then I, it's learning from what you're doing, so that the next time you're back out there, you push yourself to do it right and, and keep pushing yourself. Mm. And what are you looking forward to most when you go back in November? <laughs> How much time I'm gonna spend with the penguins? <laughs> um, I I just want to come back with like a set of beautiful images. There's gonna be more than penguins there. There's wildlife. I just want to capture these little guys in their best light and and also enjoy the moment being there. That I I feel that being there is such a privilege. Not a lot of people get to do these things, these trips. So it, it's you gotta be humble and thankful and, and grateful if you have the opportunity to be there. Mm. Well, well said. And so this kind of brings me to my next question for your landscape photography. I, I was actually really intrigued by your business model. I thought it was really, really interesting. And I was hoping you could tell me a little bit more about or behind the idea of selling your photography as a as a design element. Okay, design your space is basically um, it's custom orders and it's based on size um, and it's large prints that are, are created uh, for space. And I love big prints. <laughs> I love big big images. So. Create, when I, I create an image out there, I do a lot of panoramic images, and those files are large, and therefore you are able to print, uh, you know, I can print a 10 foot, 10 feet by 8 feet tall image because the file is big enough to do that. And by being able to print something of that size, it feels like all of a sudden you you're no longer looking at the picture, you are able to be in the picture. You kind of, you can wrap yourself with that picture. Uh, you, you can live in it. Like, um, I have some on my walls that I just look at them and I, I, I just, they're so big that I feel I'm in there again. That's how, that's how I look at it. Um, I love printing, I love, it's it's like you know I, I send my 
to the lab and it comes back and it's like Christmas. It's like, oh, you know, look look how the, the greens and the blues and the, the light and the highlights and uh, come, come out. And it, it, to me, it's like, that's when it comes to life. And and being able to bring this these images into the design, I think it's a lot of fun, and it, it's it's a bit, it's a bit outside the box as well because not everybody wants to put uh, an iceberg in their living room. Um, it does not resonate with everybody, but some people it does. Um, I had a client that wanted to buy a picture I did in uh, Arch National Park and put it in his bedroom. Um, and it was a big arch, which I light painted, and the stars in the Milky Way. It's a beautiful image, but I'm not sure I would have put that in my bedroom. But um, this gentleman wanted a big print of that, and that made him feel like he was part of the picture. Um, how I came out with... Um, design your space with my images is just the ability to be able to, to have the choice to print big sets and playing with walls, integrating nature into your environment. Nature makes me smile. Nature brings positive vibes into your environment. doesn't matter who you are. Uh, I don't think I've ever met someone that said, I don't love penguins or I don't love horses or I don't love birds. Now, how you present it and how you make it part of somebody's walls is a different story. But having the ability to create an image and make it significant part of your wall is 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 a lot of fun. And to me, is um, is bringing that life into your home. How would you describe your personality, and uh, and how do you think that it shapes your photography? <laughs> I'm not sure I'm the best one to describe myself, but one thing I know about myself is I work really hard. I'm not a quitter ever. Regardless of how hard things are, I will push myself and keep going back and keep it going. I've never been a quitter. doesn't matter uh, what I've done in my life. Is um, I've never quit. I always push myself hard. And I push the limit, and I always raise the bar. I'm demanding in my environment. Everybody who works with me or, or around me, they know that I am extremely demanding. And therefore, I am very demanding on myself as well. Even though sometimes my images, the result is not the one that I want, one thing I know, regardless of the quality of the, the image, I know I have pushed myself as hard as I could. I look at photography, my case is like, you know, you, it's like lifting weights. You start with five pounds and if you keep working at it, eventually you'll be able to lift 100 pounds. How long is that going to take you? It's how much effort you're going to put into it. So in my case, every year I re-edit my portfolio. So last week I spent a couple hours uh, looking at uh, images that I did uh, five five years ago or six years ago and I'm like oh this is still good this one used to be good no longer good so it's just delete so th this is um, this is how I go at it it's like 
Um, and uh, there's also the fact that as you get older, you're learning things, you become a different person. So your photography will reflect that as well. Your emotions are different. Um, I mean, to this, they, they, I mean, I'm 56 and I, I still learn every single day. And, and I know I'm not the same person that I was five years ago. So obviously my images will reflect that. And also, I have a better skilled photographer because um, I'm, it's easier for me to identify subjects, how to capture them in a better way. I'm better with light, better with this and that. So to me, it's an evolving process. And um, my biggest strength is I'm not a quitter. <laughs> and when you say you're not a quitter, is there is there a strategy that you... Like, what, what is your strategy to help you regain focus or drive? Um, sometimes you just need to sit down and breathe. <laughs> and, and, you know, one of the things that I'm doing more and more is, like, not everything around you is a picture. And sometimes you just need to enjoy what's in front of you. Just, just be there. Be present. That's good advice. <laughs> um, what do you think is... What do you think is the most worthwhile investment that you've made and why? Well, for me, there's several things. If you are in the landscape photography and you're looking to do uh, go in places like Antarctica and, and in the Arctic or you know, photograph in very harsh conditions, like even the Canadian Rockies can be very harsh, you know, anywhere where you can experience extreme cold or rain or really bad weather condition, invest in good clothing. Because if your feet are cold, if your fingers are cold, if you are cold, you will not want to be out there and it's going to be a horrible experience. That's that, it, to me, the fact that I, I did spend the money, I mean, it's, it's not cheap, uh, but you don't have to do it all at, at once and you can watch for the sales and, and so on. But investing in the right gear makes a big difference. And, and, and again, it allows you, if you're not cold and you're, you're, you're dry and you can focus, you, 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 then the only thing that you have to worry about is your focus, your mind, um, your vision, and, and, and then you can be creative and you're not distracted by other things. So that's, that's for the gear. The other thing is, in terms of times, is investing time in becoming very disciplined. Um, it's critical in photography. Discipline, what you added, discipline in when you're out there, making sure your equipment is working in good condition, that you have the right equipment with you, understanding what you're dealing with. It is just critical. And that's the other thing. Is be, it's part of being disciplined, is be prepared. I never go out and not be prepared. And sometimes I miss something and I, I kick my butt because I'm like, well, well, how am I going to do this picture? And then your life becomes miserable because you left unprepared. Or you're going to miss a picture because you're not prepared. So um, that workshops, workshops are great because workshops, uh, not every workshops. I'm going to tell you that some workshops are not worth spending the money or attend. Sometimes people take workshops, they, they just want to hear 
what's going to make them happy. And that's okay, you know, uh, you can choose that. But this is not necessarily a great way to learn. Every workshop that I have attended, I've been told, this is a crappy picture. And I'm being nice the way I say that. I've been yelled at, I cried, I'll be honest, I cried, um, I fought, but at the end of the day, I look at my learning curve and the images I was able to create, I'm happy that I survived it, I'm happy that I made the choices that I've made. I think choosing the instructor is is huge. And um, again, discipline, right gear, and be have an open mind and be willing to learn. Um, I think that's that's really good advice. Um, th- I have so many questions, but I just I it's not gonna happen. <laughs> but I wanted to finish off our show by asking you, what would you ask a photographer whose work you admired if you were, let's say, in my position? What are the kinds of things you're curious about? I, I'm always fascinated by one thing, and even though you know I went to five different workshops, uh, five different uh, master photographer, is the creative process. Like when they are out there and they see something, like what is it that goes through their mind? Um, how do they approach it? How? Like I remember the first time I went with Bell and I said, "Okay, so you see this? I mean, for you the picture is obvious, but for me it's not." So how do you go at it? How, what's, your, what's your creative process? Uh, what are you looking at? Um, help me to understand what you're looking at. But how do they do it? Um, that is something that I'm interested to know. That's my first question to every one of them. How do you do it? How do you think so fast? What's your creative process? Wow, that's such a good question. <laughs> and... Uh... Where can people find your work? Well, there's some of my work on my website, and people can contact me directly, and it's probably the best way. So thank you very much, Andre, for coming in. And, uh, well, I guess you're you're conducting the interview from the comfort of your bedroom. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, nonetheless. It's quiet, please. Um, it's very flattering, and it's an honor. Thank you very much. And there you go. That was my interview with Andre Thorpe. If you do want to check out her stuff, uh, you can. it's pretty easy to search her, uh, A-N-D-R-E-E-T-H-O-R-P-E. And uh, if you want to see some of her stuff in person, uh, she does have a small collection up at Kingston Frameworks downtown, and she has a couple books there as well. So you can see all of the projects that we uh, spoke about. Except for the Farmers by Choice, you'll have to check out her Instagram or her her website for that. If you want to look for more stuff by Depth of Field, I do have a Facebook group. Just type in at CFRC Depth of Field and my Facebook page will come up and there you'll find links to the artists themselves as well as a link to the SoundCloud account I have where I post every episode where you can listen to it again. Have a good night and uh, thank you for listening. See you next Saturday.